My name is Owen. Today is Sunday, November 28th, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my neighbor Max. How's it going, my friend? I'm doing well. It's been a short time since our last podcast. Um, Just a weekend, really. I've had a day of work, a day off, and managed to maximize the day off. Got some shopping done. My tattoo artist was having an art gallery, so I swung by that. Had a nice little 20-minute chat with him. Nice to get out of the house, do something living in a city part of the attraction is having these activities of a somewhat bougie nature and i was just like yeah i want to go to an art gallery today and glad i did so lovely uh i did not have as an outgoing a day but that is because we are getting buried here with snow in london uh has not stopped since yesterday morning uh we had cars who were unable to get up the hill uh we live on a street that is quite the incline and, and cars have struggled to get up it uh, this weekend. So I took that as an excuse to stay inside all day, watch football, catch up on the world of sports uh, and, and nice little stay at home day. Although we've had so many of those over the past two years that nothing special, but just nice. Yeah. It doesn't quite have the same ring to it when you put it in that context. Man, I had my first, I think, our last pod, you asked me about the weather here, and it was just starting to snow. Since then, I've had my first bike in the snow with the mm-hmm. ground frozen, and that was tough. Yeah, sketchy. <laughs> yeah, don't know how much longer I'll be doing that for. Uh, Canadian winter seems to be arriving. Yeah, I, uh, I'm going to have to snowshoe into work tomorrow, it looks like <laughs> right now at this rate. I built a snowman outside. First time in a while I've done that. Oh. Nice little pleasant experience. Yeah at my own pace and then some of the christmas decorations are starting to go up i'm feeling the mood i'm feeling the mood obviously wednesday is still that cut off like we talked about for you but uh for me i'm happy to get things going in full swing yeah so a nice little show we've got on the docket today with just 48 hours since our last recording not that long at all so basically a weekend recap of the major sporting action We'll be kicking off with the most recent, everything that happened this afternoon in the road of the NFL, some basketball and hockey, NBA, NHL check-ins, and some college hoops on the basketball end. So a nice little weekend recap for everyone to start their week Monday morning. Oh, we're going to kick it off with Football Fan Cave. Yes, sir. Football Fan Cave. We're going to start on Saturday. So not in the NFL here. Two big college games, one north of the border. Whoa, Canadian football. And one south of the border here I want to talk about. I think the the bigger news that may work on this pod is the University of Michigan. I am a closeted University of Michigan fan because it has been a rough stretch um, the last few years. Obviously a really strong program with a lot of history, uh, but has not been able to get over their rivals, Ohio State, in many, many, many years. Uh, and this year was the year with an incredible running attack led by Hassan Haskins, who had five touchdowns in the game. The Michigan Wolverines win and defeat their rivals, Ohio State, for the first time in eight years. First time Jim Harbaugh has beat this team as the head coach. And they now are sitting in, most likely when the rankings come out uh, on Tuesday, the Michigan Wolverines will be in the college football playoff for the first time 
in their history. Obviously, college football playoff, a relatively new structure. I think it's been around for six, seven years now, uh, if I can recall. Top four teams in the country mm. by ranking get in, and, and Michigan was seeded five. They beat the number two seeded Ohio State. So as a closeted Michigan fan, I've been waiting many, many years for this. Super excited for it. And now they just have to win the Big Ten championship against Iowa in order to secure a spot in that playoff. Uh, and then they'll be facing a team in front, probably from the SEC that's going to blow them out. <laughs> uh, but you never know. You just want to get in, right? Just get in. But it's Ohio, Alabama that are the locks for that top four traditionally. In. Uh, usually Clemson. This year, Georgia is undefeated. They are locked in. Um, Georgia, Alabama play each other next weekend, which will be really fun. Um, and then, of course, the fourth team right now is Cincinnati, which is an interesting story because they are not in one of the power five conferences, they call them, in the United States. Uh, so a, a lesser ranked school but because they're undefeated and have been now back-to-back years they are sitting in that four seed uh in the playoff just because you can't not let an undefeated team in even though uh, they're not going to make as much money in terms of the what will actually happen in the games but that is where it currently sits my guess by the end of uh tuesday we'll have georgia alabama michigan and cincinnati in with oklahoma state sitting in that five seed after they had an awesome win in bedlam against oklahoma uh yesterday as well so great stuff going on in college football and we'll keep it uh, up to date as we go along next weekend the game that i teased north of the border just wanted to shout out my alma mater the university of western ontario the mustangs oh. uh won the yates cup last week on the road in guelph and then just put an pounding on saint fx um it's, it's tough for these East Coast teams. They don't play a ton of games, and then they come and just get slaughtered by one of the team from Quebec, whoever that might be, McGill, Montreal, uh, Laval, one of those teams, or they'll get stomped by the teams in Ontario, or if they manage somehow to play a team out West, they'll get beat by them. It's usually uh, just those three like West to Central teams that really have a shot at, at the Vanier Cup, which is the equivalent of winning the college football playoff uh, here in Canada. So the University of Western Ontario, the Mustangs, are heading to Montreal uh, for the Vanier Cup, but they will be taking on the University of Saskatchewan Huskies. Uh, Looking forward to that one. Max, I recommend you take that in. Be good to see uh, some some tapes there, uh, because maybe one day you'll work your way up and be calling the Vanier Cup. Never know, right? Yeah, I'll have to ask my coworkers uh, if they know the guys doing that, the ones who call the McGill football games. Typically for the Vanier Cup and the two like semifinals, it's it's actually on Sportsnet. Yeah. So they get like okay. the Sportsnet's guys to call it, but you never know. You work your way up, maybe you do local radio, right? <laughs> that's uh that's it for Saturday. We'll move on to Sunday here with some interesting results in the NFL. The New York Giants starting in New York. Uh they absolutely stifle the red hot eagles and their prolific running game uh complete defensive effort from the giants eagles did not score in the first half they probably should have field goal but jalen hurts forcing a throw to the end zone gets picked uh, so no points for the eagles in the first half they get a touchdown in the second half and then that's about it the giants close the door get a huge upset win in the division stops the eagles three game win streak uh, that's a tough blow for philly because 
some of their fans were really high on the way this team was running the football. They're getting ready for a playoff run. And, and now they sit five and seven with a, with a brutal loss to a, a struggling Giants team. And they're going to have to regroup next week. Parity continues. Yeah, another team surging uh, like Philadelphia, but continuing the win streak. They're up to four now. Don't look now. The Miami Dolphins, who started the year one and seven, Max. How many one and seven teams do you think have ever made the playoffs? I don't know if any have, but they're on a four-game win streak now. They're headed into a bye week at five and seven. Um, their four-game win streak came against Houston, the Jets, the Panthers, and then the Ravens is the signature win out of those four other three relatively easy opponents. Um, this is a big run for them. <laughs> they get the bye week to then regroup, and they get the Giants and the Jets in back-to-back weeks so they could get back up to 500 before having new orleans tennessee and new england the rest of the way but if they can get to seven and seven they're going to be right in that mix there at the end of the year and could be the first team ever to make it to the playoffs after going one and seven and they're they're going to be helped out by the fact that it's an extra long season this year uh so interesting to see if that dynamic manages to help miami squeak in is why we need producers to be googling these things and whispering them in our ears as before we move on but my uh typing and responding skills are not that on point to get the history of all nfl playoff makes in the past I know. however many years <laughs> that's the dynamic here when you got two absolute superstars on the podcast it's tough for one of us to take a back seat <laughs> all right moving on here afc north division rivalry matchup between the Cincinnati Bengals and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Absolutely lopsided. The Bengals run all over the Steelers with Joe Mixon getting 165 yards on the ground. And I believe the final score in that game was 41 to 10. The Bengals getting a much needed victory. They will be the two seed now in the AFC North and and sit themselves nicely in a wild card spot. It's a big win for them. Another big day on the ground for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who started out very slowly. I had even put in the notes section early on in, in, in the day today that They were scuffling. Tom Brady was looking old. Is this Tampa Bay team just a little bit cursed? The injury luck as well, really hitting them hard. But no, they turned things around. Leonard Fournette, my fantasy MVP of the day, 44 points in fantasy um, with four touchdowns on the day for him. A really big game. And the Buccaneers get a huge win against Indianapolis. Uh, They were able to somewhat stop. Jonathan Taylor Taylor still ended up with 19 points in fantasy around what his projection was, which seems like not very much compared to his past couple weeks of production, but um, that's all you have to do when he's playing on an MVP level. It's kind of like running into Derrick Henry this time of the year. You just want to make sure they put up average production and then see if you can piece things together from there. And that's what the Bucks are able to do. And they get a big win here uh, to help them towards their race in the number one seed in the NFC as they will gain ground on Arizona, who is on their bye week. Another team racing for that one seed, the Green Bay Packers, currently in the process of exposing the LA Rams. Um, The Rams coming off a bye week. Sean McVay really good at coming off of bye weeks, but yikes. Uh, Odell, not as involved as they would like to see. Van Jefferson with a big touchdown, but besides that, the Rams offense has really scuffled. And in a game where we're looking forward to matchups between Jair Alexander and Cooper Cup, or uh, Devontae Adams, Jalen Ramsey, uh, Jamar J- Douglas takes over in this game. 
uh, a fumble recovery as well as a pick six for Green Bay. And they're in the process of closing this one out in Lambeau uh, with a big win for them. And they will now push towards that number one seed in the NFC. They'll be half a game back of the Cardinals uh, in, in that one. The last game I want to briefly touch on is my Denver Broncos. Nice, uh, nice win today for them, exposing a LA Chargers offense that has so much potential but continues to dink and dunk. When you've got a guy like Herbert who can make almost every throw around the field, it just doesn't make sense to play so conservatively. Uh, and they were struggling to move the ball in this game. Denver controlled time of possession, kind of like they did a couple of weeks ago against Dallas, running the ball with both Melvin Gore and uh, Javante Williams. And Teddy Bridgewater comes back after a, a brief injury scare there. I could not bear to watch Drew Locke uh, fumble on his first play and then throw a pick uh, that led to a touchdown when Denver was well in position to not give up any points in the first half. But they turn it around. They get the win. They're 6-5 and five now, tied with L.A. in that regard and, and pushing towards a possible playoff spot. They're above 500. Uh, Pats are taint. Looked really good in this game. Their first round pick, who people were then starting to question once Mac Jones turned out to be such a fantastic player. But Pat Sertan is going to be an all pro for many, many years. And he had two key interceptions in this game to really seal it. So congrats to my Broncos, baby. That's that's a big win for us. All right. That is going to do it for me in football fan cave. Uh, I'm going to move things along into basketball storylines. Max, why don't you kick us off here? Yeah, last episode, we went through a quick who's hot, who's cold around the league, looking at win streaks, but we of course left off the two hottest teams in the league, so it only felt right to circle back and dedicate some more concentrated time to those two teams. Uh, there's no debate or discussion to be had on this. They are the Phoenix Suns and the Golden State Warriors. I don't think that's really up for any. Uh, and we have two great points of discussion here, both coming off big wins this weekend. Last night, the Phoenix Suns beating out the Brooklyn Nets. And this afternoon, the Golden State Warriors getting a win over the LA Clippers. But even then bigger or even a more exciting point of comparison than that coming up Tuesday night, which I had no idea about until Owen put it on my radar. So perfect. We got the Suns and the Warriors going at it. So we'll both be really excited to catch up on that game. But that makes this the perfect time to check in, discuss what we expect from the game, what we've seen from these two teams this season. Uh, mostly just to praise like what's working really well for each club, but a little comparison is fun and healthy and good sport, eh? Oh yeah, for sure. And, and these teams operate very differently but at the same time uh operate similarly uh, a big key to their success of course is that continuity golden state with a couple more new pieces than phoenix in that regard year over year but the core is there and then a couple guys who have now in their third fourth seasons in golden state are, are really starting to get acclimatized to to the offense that they run which is very ball movement oriented. It's it's really lovely to watch them pass the ball. It zips around and a lot of movement without the ball uh, versus Phoenix, which is a little bit more static in terms of pick and rolls for their their guards um, having heavy 
pick and roll isolations in that regard with Chris Paul picking apart defenses. But the thing with Phoenix that I, I don't want to say they're only a pick and roll team because what they do so well is they always have action on the weak side of the court. So when Chris Paul or Devin Booker is running a pick and roll at the center, someone like Jay Crowder Bridges is setting a down screen on that other side or setting a back screen or cutting to find that open space. They're very fluid as well. Both these teams move really well without the ball, a ton of guys with high basketball IQ uh, and as well, both of them do it on the defensive side of the ball. That's how they generate a lot of their stops and then points in transition. The, the thing I will say about golden state, that's just different is the electricity is back with this team. Whenever Steph Curry puts up a shot, everyone holds their breath. It's returned to the 2016, 2017, 2018 level Warriors pandemonium that we've seen. And it's just so fun. He's the best thing to watch on TV right now. Yeah, the only thing I can really think of to compare it to is maybe the Penguins back-to-back cup run after having the finals appearance against the Red Wings and then winning the cup with the same matchup the next year. Uh, having a fan base learn how to win and get behind players, having that go away, and then having those same players survive. It's different than like the um, Lakers being great with Magic and Kareem and then being great again with Shaq and Kobe all the years later, because those are two different eras. But having the same era peak, dip down, and then revive again, there's something there's such momentum behind that a little bit chicago bulls-esque right jordan takes that two-year period off and then they return go back to back to back once again there you go that's probably a better example in the first place Uh, just a couple calling cards of any elite team is going to be the defense the ball movement the ability to make you you pay for bad defensive rotation and i think those are things each team can hang their hat on i can talk a little better about the suns right now having caught that game as it was on tsn like you said chris paul devin booker the pick and roll so critical for this team's success it's not the only part of their offense but it's maybe the part that functions when the lights are brightest in the biggest moments when they need it and i think lots of teams can say they have that piece missing but what the suns have Beyond that is the ability to maximize all their other players' uh, strengths and get them really going. And that's what they did so well against the Nets. Mikael Bridges just seems to be made to run the ball in transition with his length, speed, and strength. The ability to get deflections, pressure the ball, and help the entire team defensively turn it over. That was a huge part of their second quarter success. Campaign's ability to penetrate. Even JaVale McGee just eating up the second chance points against the Nets team who we stopped talking about their lack of a true center because they've mostly been able to manage their way around it but every now and again again we get reminded of that Minky and Aiton both able to remind us of that Saturday night Uh, and then just a team that top to bottom can shoot the ball really well and helps get the spacing but that defense in the second quarter really like propelled them ahead of the nets the nets got their feet planted back into it this team so offensively good uh and like aldridge uh bembry were having like 
not games of their lives or anything, but like really fantastic, efficient games. Durant had those moments where he can't be stopped. Uh, Harden, really inefficient from the field. He got 10 points, at least because he had a triple-double, but his playmaking, at least, still fantastic, even when he's having a relatively bad night on the scoring touch side of things. So what I'm trying to say is this was a fantastic offense operating last night. It just got disrupted so much that it only got or it got a lot less time than it's used to run. And then even when it did run, that goes back to why I was saying the Suns are able to shine in the big moments. In the third quarter, there were a couple moments where the Nets kept like turning the key in the ignition. The engine would start for them. And then the Suns would just douse water on it. They killed Lamarcus Aldridge with the switches, um, Booker and Chris Paul, even taking advantage of the help defense to find the open look. But it was all starting with that switch in that third quarter. They kept the gap wide. All in all, a really fantastic basketball game. It never got that close in the fourth quarter. The Nets had a chance, uh, nine minutes of the fourth, but Mills missed a corner three. And that was kind of the last chance they had to have a run at it. So I can't say with as much detail what the Suns or Warriors team does well, but the Suns team was so impressive last night. They did it all though. Yeah, that's what you get from Chris Paul, right? If there is a run by the other team, he is going to instantly diagnose where they're struggling on offense. He's so in tune with the whole game and will say, okay, we need to slow things down here. We're getting, we're losing our momentum. Let's pick on the guy who we have the best matchup against and go to work. And that is what they do with Aldridge. As you mentioned there, he's just so good at stopping those runs and managing the flow of the game. And uh, that has led to a ton of sun success. And I think it's something that's really underappreciated from Chris Powell that came to light, especially in their finals run last season, but he's in year 17 now. Uh, 38 years of age, not doesn't get the same recognition for what he's doing at this age as someone like LeBron did, where every single post, every time he had a highlight, it was year 17. Whoa, LeBron, unreal. Chris Paul's doing it just as well right now. Uh, and it's been really impressive. And, and I love what I've been seeing from the Suns with the Warriors, man. It's everything's clicking right now. Talk about playing to your strengths. Everyone's got a high basketball IQ. They move without the ball, they play solid defense. And as of today, James Wiseman and Clay Thompson starting their rehabilitation state uh, stint with the Santa Cruz Warriors in the G League um, might be some must-watch basketball. Imagine you're you're just signed a contract in the G League. You're showing up. All right, it's going to be my game. Time to shine. Time to make some money. And you got to go guard Clay Thompson. Oh man. <laughs> I, I hope Buddy's got his cardio up because he's going to be chasing him all night. I hope Clay buys him dinner or something after this. Yeah. So really, really close. They say Clay is going to be back before Christmas. Wow. That is the best Christmas present that anyone could ask for as an NBA fan. Especially if you're steeper. <laughs> yeah. And uh, like we said, Tuesday night, everyone should be tuning in. It's a throwdown between the two best teams in the NBA right now. What, 18 and two and 18 and three are the records, respectively? 17, I think, for the Suns, but yeah. Yeah, it's, it's going to be excellent. <laughs> Can't wait. By definition, clear cut, two best teams play each other. That's must watch basketball. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we thought Phoenix Brooklyn was. 
this weekend, but yeah, obviously not the case. And I think the Warriors beating the Nets as well within the last two weeks or so. So the Nets, a team that otherwise would be included, we'd be having a discussion right now about the top three teams in the league. Is there, well, they're one game ahead of the Heat and the Wizards right now. So not a clear-cut advantage, but uh, just the ceiling we know this team can get to. But with a loss to those other two teams and clearly a record below, uh, if it was April, it would be a different discussion. But when we talk about the best teams in the league right now, I don't think we can include the Nets. No, not yet. Not yet, anyways. Okay, last bit of news here in the NBA. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins signing a contract for one season with the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, I imagine to play kind of a discount Brook Lopez role on this team. He will maybe get five minutes a game. I doubt he'll play in the playoffs, but uh, high potential type signing for the Bucks here. He's got a lot of size, so you can punish teams with, with no interior presence like the Brooklyn Nets. Um, and he's a guy who can pass the ball, and he can shoot from the outside. Uh, so it's a little bit more spacing there from the backup center, but I don't expect him to be too impactful. And it's just more of a regular season signing just as a, a way to get more minutes from the center position. Can you imagine the East Conference Finals this year? We see like Aldridge Cousins going at it nonstop. <laughs> I know. What is it, 2013? <laughs> All right. That's it for the NBA. Quick college ball check in here. The marquee matchup that I mentioned Friday night uh, that I was excited to see the following day was between the Gonzaga Bulldogs and the Duke Blue Devils. And Duke takes down the number one seeded team in the country, Gonzaga. Uh, Chet Holmgren looks exactly like all of the things that people poking at him, holes in his game, were dying to see. Um obviously really tall, really impressive as a rim protector. And then we saw that highlight with the perimeter skills as well, but again, still looks like a slim frame, right? Obviously, I don't know, Max, to your first impression, but he is a little bit freakzoid-ish in terms oh, yeah. of how slim he is for his size. And uh, right away, Mark Williams, uh, the center on Duke, showed showed him what some some tough college like a uh, couple years in the system what that muscle looks like what that weight class looks like and uh mark williams was phenomenal in this game on both ends of the floor really stuffed a lot of chet's uh post moves and then was rolling to the rim hard throwing down dunks it was just a really athletic display from this duke team and on the offensive end, Paolo Boncaro and Wendell Moore went to town, both over 20 points. Duke's athleticism, just like how Gonzaga struggled with Baylor in the championship game of March Madness last year with their athleticism. It comes back to bite them again. They've got a lot of guys who play great system basketball, but when it comes down to it, when you stick two guys across from each other and, and the ball's loose or uh, you need to score individually, they, they, they just don't have the same level of athlete plain and simple to be able to create that space and and in those margins there duke won uh with just a little bit of extra hustle a little bit more athleticism and, and that was it, the difference in this game obviously right down to the wire i'm looking forward i'm praying that we get to see these two teams play each other again later on in this year that would be march madness uh, but really fun game and looking forward to seeing the rest of their seasons as it goes along that's it for basketball storylines 
we're going to drop into talking hockey. Max, where do you want to start here? Well, we can just go through these bits in order as we have them. So okay. Brady bit by Brendan Lemieux. Have you not seen this? No. Oh, okay. I want you to go on Twitter right now while I break it down and, and find a clip. It's been trending today. Uh, last night in the Los Angeles Kings Ottawa Senators game, Brady Kachuk uh, whacks out a puck in front of the net. It is a bit of a mashup between him and Brendan Lemieux in the corner. Uh, and Brady emerges from there. Hands in the air, whining to the ref. On the Kings broadcast, the announcer actually says, stop complaining. Hockey's a physical sport because he believes he's complaining about the fighting. Brady lifts up his hand. And, it, and Max, you can see it. I don't know if you'll watch the video, but there are bite marks all along kind of the palm of his hand there. And, <laughs> I mean, the quote at the end of the game, I don't know if I can pull it up quickly enough, but... Uh, he calls Brendan Lemieux gutless, uh, not a real player, a brickhead, a joke, and then the ultimate diss that you could provide any hockey player, bad guy. No, but for real, not, not in a joking way. Hockey players, they don't want to have anything to do with the media. They're typically a tight brother band. They... Even if someone acts out of line, they usually can figure things out. It's in the heat of the moment. But if you get called a bad guy in hockey, that truly means you've done something wrong. And it looks like this Brendan Lemieux guy, not a fan favorite or a player favorite throughout the league. Uh, <laughs> pretty awesome statement from Brady after the game. He said joke, gutless, brickhead a couple of times when describing Lemieux's actions. And quite shocking, really, that a grown man bit another grown man in a hockey game. Uh, yeah, I, there's only one side to be on this, that it's really ridiculous and he should get suspended. Um, a lot of people don't like Brady Kachuk. <laughs> so obviously that they don't, there are people who know that biting is bad, but still love to see Brady get <laughs> mixed up in something like this. Uh, his father, Keith Kachuk was the victim of a biting incident as well back in his day. So funny how, parallels are always drawn we truly live in a simulation but uh max looking forward to yeah looking forward to your reaction after you watch this clip yeah i i couldn't find a clip of the biting though i got yeah. brady in the box with the hand being looked over yeah um, i will say if brady has a child who plays in the nhl and also gets bit <laughs> this family is just asking for it three times is not a coincidence until then, we will side with the bitee here at Sports Next Door. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The only other thing I can think of like that is the Mike Tyson Avenger Holyfield <laughs> incident. Um, and in that, you think about a guy with the ego of an emperor who got humiliated in front of the world, was backed into a corner, and had no way out. So I'd be really curious to know what was going through Lemieux's mind in the 10, 15 seconds up to that. And he you mentioned Brady's uh, lack of popularity around the league and his style of play creates that. So I'm curious what the, you know, the like hand on the back of the helmet when you're on your knees as you're trying to get up and it takes two seconds longer, the little chips in the yeah. calves with the stick, like all those little things you hate. Um. I'd love to see what kind of treatment he got all game from Brady, not because oh, it justifies sure. it, but just I want to know what it was. 
but yeah, I'm totally with you that that's unacceptable. There's, you get back at him with those same methods. You flip a puck at them. I hear they don't like that. <laughs> that was Matthew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, there's a, there's a line, right? Marshand with the licking. Now Lemieux with the biting. <laughs> you don't do that stuff. Did you see uh, Tyson Fury licking the blood off Wilder in their second fight? Oh yeah, that was that was freaky. I liked that. So that's yeah, but that's also like health risk. <laughs> <sighs> I don't think Deontay Wilder has AIDS. Okay, let's move on. Uh, Mark Bergevin fired today by the Montreal Canadiens. Rumors circulate about this like twenty four hours ago. It's it was a long time coming in Twitter timeline sense um not really surprising montreal canadians off to their worst start in franchise history and really downhill really disappointing for a fan base that is riding a high off of making the stanley cup finals but the true character i don't know character is the right word but the bones of this team were built on guys who are not playing right now or are moved on to another team and those younger stars who were fantastic in the playoffs were sheltered a little bit by those adults who now are not playing. And we've seen them struggle. Nick Suzuki is still having a solid season, but not near the expectations, I don't think. And of course, Caulfield's been up and down. Um, and the goaltending's bad, as we mentioned. We already talked about all this in the check-in, but Bergevin is out. Uh, we'll see if that does anything to change the team, but usually that's that's not something that really energizes at the team level it's more there will be a bit of a culture shift uh in montreal yeah a really fascinating situation another time where i wish we had a producer so i could know what the fastest firing in nhl history of a gm is after taking their team to the stanley cup finals because this has got to be top five there's not many situations i imagine where that can happen uh, it's interesting you said skeleton because I was trying to put the right metaphor together for this Montreal Canadiens team. And the best I could come up with is it's a team that's missing the heart and the skin in Carey Price and uh, Shea Weber. The shape of this team and the vitality, the engine that keeps it going, two really important pieces. The skeleton's still there, the circulatory system. They've got their top six still mostly in place. But when you lose a guy like Deneau, you lose a guy like Kokanyemi, that's going to hurt that skeleton, that core. And when you're missing such essential foundations in Price and Weber, that's when losing that those one, two, top six forwards hits you 10 times harder, whereas otherwise you might be able to have players make the transition. Cole Caulfield just completely regressed to where he was before the fantastic run he had in the playoffs. Uh, Nick Suzuki, exactly where he was last season. A lot of Canadians actually, in terms of point production, at their point per game rate, very similar. Suzuki, Anderson, Toffoli scoring less goals. The assists are still all right. Dren's doing all right. Hoffman's at seven points in the 13 games he's played for them, so not terrible there. The only guy who's really down and out from last season is Jeff Petrie, who had like a 12-game or 12-goal, 40-point season. He's at no goals, maybe two assists right now. So <laughs> really fascinating to me that you just – you take a couple pillars out and then a couple of places that should be replaceable 
and this team just entirely crumbles from what it was four or five, six months ago. Yeah, hockey is a, a fickle sport, man. Um, it, it just you can never it's not like basketball where you just bring in the stars build around that you're gonna have success the lineup everything that you tinker with it is like an organism if you change one thing it's going to affect the alignment of everything else and uh, maybe they're hoping that I guess if, if the GM's a bit of the brain hopefully you can rewire the nervous system and, and see if this team can recalibrate get back on track yeah, the last thing I'll say about that is, like I mentioned, a lot of these forward players actually having pretty average seasons. You look at Suzuki, Toffoli, Anderson, uh, Lekkonen's doing like as normal. And so a lot of it is kind of there for this team. And that's when uh, decisions like this can maybe have a chance. You just shake it up, you hit the reset button, and you hope that when you roll the dice, like all the each and every one comes up even for like a bit of a lucky roll. But I think it is possible. Uh, but it's all you can really do in this situation because you can't burn it down and start from scratch. Like this is not a team composed of valuable enough assets to like have a huge uh, turnout from that. I mean, Carey Price not getting taken by the Kraken. <laughs> seems like a really good decision in hindsight yeah. but maybe like the clearest piece of evidence of that yeah would be fun though brendan gallagher on a playoff team oh, yeah that what guy a who's just built for that is wasted a lot of or missed out on a lot of potential there what a pickup that would be for a team i don't know if he'll go but that that's that's a one that any playoff contender you're looking at that with with licking your lips man yeah you saw a lot of uh first round pick rentals last year you think i don't know how many years gallagher has left on his contract the top of my head if it's something like three four maybe it takes two first round picks to do it but i'm yeah maybe it shouldn't i don't know (laughs) but uh taylor hall went for a second and a third no he went for a second and then Anders Bjork like well it's all about uh, their contract though right like I guess Hall's contract expiring it was just a matter of getting something we gave up a first for Felino. yeah no I but like Gallagher if he's on a decent contract I'm saying it could um and not a player who's just like a one playoff rental then I imagine the price goes up Perhaps, perhaps. We shall see. We shall see. Speaking of uh, risky player acquisitions with potential upside, though, Evander Kane being waived by the San Jose Sharks, so he may enter the AHL, but... I, oh, go on. I, I just don't know if he's even going to play at this point. I don't think anyone's going to touch him, and well, yeah, <laughs> it's... It, like that is high high risk we're talking here yeah a player whose name has only been in the news for scandals uh two three different ones but he did put up 22 20 to 26 goals last season in 50 something games played so 
I took a look at the NHL standings, teams on the cusp of the playoffs in the bottom 10 goals for per game uh, with the cap space to take him. There's actually only one. It's the Nashville Predators, the LA Kings, a team I wondered about as I bet. It sort of fits that I can see them picking up a rival's like kind of dirty physical goal scoring player and hoping that just plays out in spades for them. Uh, they don't have the cap space for it, though. Just Nashville. The Sharks also, though, a team bottom 10 in the league in goals for per game. So if he's just around the corner from being ready to return for them and they're choosing to pass, that does say a lot. Yeah, no one on that team likes him. Yeah. And I think it's as simple as that. <laughs> so I guess, yeah. Yeah, maybe you see him in Nashville, a team that could use a bit more goal scoring, has the cap space to take on that contract. But uh high risk so yeah i if i I personally as a gm i would look elsewhere um the other guy who went through waivers oh how the mighty have fallen matt murray two stanley cups the pittsburgh penguins uh somehow managed to finesse ottawa for a pretty big money deal i don't know what they were thinking there and now is in the minors of their team um He'll always have the two cups, but it might be a long road back for Matt Murray. Obviously still pretty young, uh, but really has fallen off a cliff in terms of production. Who knows if he'll ever capture it. Another thing fickle about hockey is just goaltending in general. Yeah, we we see it. Magic box. (laughs) Yeah, 100%. uh, So many. Matt Murray will always have a special place in my heart. He was absolute (laughs) magic to watch during those two Stanley Cup runs and I couldn't help but root for him with that story so I hate to see it and hope he does find his way back to success in the NHL but like you said it's a black box for what makes goalies tick Uh, why is Freddie Anderson killing it for the Canes after being ever so slightly below average for us for like such a stretch of time like man that that one's a little easier to say is that he always was pretty solid just the defense of the Canes really helps him out. But okay. Matt Murray would have been the starter in Team Canada if they had gone to Pyeongchang. Like, yeah. Yeah. So crazy. So crazy. Um, well, maybe him or Carey Price, but that's neither here nor there. Um, pretty minor news. But let's finish up with a little bit of baseball. Uh, Marcus Simeon, obviously MVP runner up and big, big piece of the Blue Jays almost playoff run last season. I feel like this, that season's way overhyped for what the result ended up being for the Blue Jays, but Semyon, unfortunately, signing a seven-year contract with the Texas Rangers. He is out of Toronto. Um, from a strictly business perspective, no way. Like, the Blue Jays got out of one there. That's too many years for this guy and too much money because of the number of years. So they'll avoid having to pay him long into the future. But now second base has been a really tough position for them to fill for many, 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 many years until this year. So they're going to be out looking for a guy who can do the job um, and no one will have as much production as Marcus, but hopefully that can be made up for by even a slight uptick in production from Vladdy, who said, this is the hardest he's ever worked this early in the off season. And I just want him to be so good next year. Uh, I love that he's finally putting in the work. He looks great. He ab- he crushed a baseball into orbit at like some random uh, softball game 
in where where is he from dominican like it was just a bunch of old dominican guys and then he they were tossing underhand and he legit sent the ball into orbit like i never saw it come down (laughs) he's so awesome man um yeah tough to see marcus go want to thank him for everything he's done for the blue jays in his year of excellence uh but on to better things and hopefully they can find a replacement second baseman that's going to do it for me And that's going to do it for this podcast. Thanks, everyone, so much for listening. Uh, I hope to those of you in the Southern Ontario area that you are enjoying the winter wonderland. And uh, I'm going to enjoy tuning into this Leafs game in about 15 minutes. But that's it for me. There you go. I've been enjoying uh, Nova Twins and Tagnus all weekend. Absolute banger, thrashy, catchy, poppy, metal. If I do my editing right, you'll be hearing some nice closing music as we exit. Uh, If I don't, you won't be hearing any of this because I'll have edited this statement out to prevent awkwardness. Either way, you will be hearing this. Sports Next Door, signing out.